Oh yeah, let's roll into Loudoun County now. So you thought about it. Who planted this bug in your your head to go, hey, Mike, you spent all this time being a federal agent. Now, let's bring you back to your roots, back when you were a real cop, back when you were heading so, Howard County. So when I um, when I was in California, um, I got a, a job offer from Booz Allen. Uh, so as you know, Booz Allen's a, uh, you know, a pretty good strategic uh, firm there. And uh, in they they actually came in and and we're going to pay pretty much what I was already making, uh, you know, as a, as a DA agent out there in California. So, yeah, I talked to a financial advisor and, you know, you look in retirement, you're looking, well, it's like, okay, this is pretty good offer. It's just too good an offer to turn down. So I ended up um, taking a job back here on the East coast. And my wife in the meantime had done the research on, on this area. We didn't really, when I was in, in headquarters before I, I lived in Stafford, Oh, and, that was a drive. Oh, uh, yeah, that that was. A, yeah, it was awful for me to get to the office. And I mean, honestly, in public affairs, the, the hours were like off the charts. So I, you know, generally I would leave uh, the house about 515 in the morning, mostly to beat the traffic uh, and get on the HOV lanes. Uh, but but by the time I got there, I, I mean, I try to get a quick workout in and then I had to go back and Back then, you know, you didn't have all these, you know, uh, you, you couldn't pull the articles like on the computer like you can now every single day. Everything was uh, was done in paper. So mm-hmm. I would actually have to cut uh, cut the articles out and put them on, paste them on every morning. Like for my, we had we had like six or seven papers. We had the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, L.A. Times. So I'd have to cut out any articles that were related to drugs or DEA or anything like that and put them on um Every morning on a sheet, you know, and I remember Bill, Bill Bryant, who uh, who ended up being the uh, superintendent under Asa, uh, Asa out there in Arkansas State Police. Uh, he would uh, he would always kid me about, uh, you know, cutting paper dolls in the morning. Yeah. So I was uh, I'd be cutting these articles. I'd be pacing them. And then, of course, everybody on the 12th floor and everybody on the 11th floor started wanting. So I'd have to run these copies. I had like 40 or 50 pages of articles and I'd be running these copies like all morning long to try to get them to. Uh, so it was just uh, it, it was just so much, so much work to uh, to get that done. So uh, but anyway, so. So I, when I went out to, uh, so I went to California, I came back and I got this job at Booz Allen and uh, as a subject matter expert. And uh, when I was there, um, Pete Mattesser, so you probably know Pete, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, very well. Yeah. yeah. So Pete had come out at the same time. Now, my wife had stayed back, stayed back to finish the school year. I took the job like in November uh, of 2008 to kind of get my feet wet, get things going, and then to, to purchase a house before they could come out. Uh, when it, when the school year ended. So I was actually staying with my in-laws in Rockville, Maryland. And I actually thought about Maryland uh, probably for about 30 seconds. And I said, no, it's going to be Virginia. <laughs> so, so no offense be, against Maryland, but they rank 50th on right? the list of states for best places to retire. Yeah. So I, I looked and I was like, you know, I mean, I grew up in Maryland. I like Maryland, but I was like, nah, not at this stage of my life. So, uh, but we didn't really want to go to Stafford because when I looked at, you know, telling you the stories about having to get up and then, you know, get up to, to work early and then to spend, I mean, honestly, it's like, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to clock out at like six, six thirty at night. And all of a sudden you get the call from, uh, you know, call comes in from Miami. Hey, we had a couple of agents. I got charged with, or got in trouble for this or that. I'm like, Oh my God, here we go. So the hours were exhausting. And then, and then that commute was just awful to Stafford. It was awful, awful. So we figured let's look at Loudoun County, low crime rate, good, uh, good reputation for schools. 
So we decided to come until out. recently. We'll talk <laughs> yeah, about until, that. <laughs> I know we're going to get into that. So, so we so we decide uh, it's going to be Loudoun County, uh, and then I'm I'd like uh, the first week or so I'm in Booz Allen, and Pete Montessori come on the same time that I did, and uh, they were just starting to try to expand their uh, their their reach in the in the drug enforcement area there in the, in the uh, DOJ DOJ market. And Pete was like, uh, he knew he knew of me. I knew of him, but he he actually knew a little bit more about me than I thought he did. And he was like, hey, you know, Mike, you ought to think about it. if you're coming here, you ought to think about running for sheriff. And I said, why is that? He goes, because because in Loudoun County they don't have a police department. They've got a, a sheriff's office, and the sheriff handles everything. I said, you're kidding me. So I I looked at it. And I actually did about a, about a year's worth of research to see whether or not this was something that could be done. I looked at I looked at the kind of money that uh, you know Simpson was bringing in. I looked at uh, his you know how we how we factored out in previous elections. I looked at what the competition looked like in the past. Did about a year's worth of research, and I remember talking to this one gal in particular who who knew a lot about politics here. She was like the expert in uh, in Loudoun County, and she says to me, <clears throat> I remember talking to her, you know, about four months before I announced. And she says to me, she said, let me ask something. She has got a really good background. She says, uh, how long you lived in Loudoun County for? And I said, about a year. And she says, who do you know? And I said, uh, nobody. And she says, uh, how much money do you have? And I said, none. She says, I don't think I'd be running. If oh, I that sounds like a plan to me. There's a good op plan for running for sheriff. <laughs> so, so I, but I, I've been doing a lot of research and talk to a lot of people. And generally when you're running for office, you get a lot of advice. <clears throat> and, um, and about ninety percent of it's not good. Uh, however, <laughs> working at uh, working at Booz Allen, there was a lot of smart people there. I'm like, and some people that had run campaigns, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I can get that. I understand that. So uh, I was actually getting good advice. I was getting good free advice. So I figured out, now let me see if I can do this. And I announced, not knowing whether I could do it or not. And my wife, because uh, her dad had just been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, right about the time I, I had announced, and it was like, oh God, all these things are hitting us at once. Mm -hmm. And then she said, and the deal that we had was that, look, she said, we don't have the money for you to run. So, uh, you know, as soon as you're out of money, I said, as soon as I'm out of money, I'm out of the race. And so I do a fundraiser. I get like $1,500. Uh, and then we do some postcards and some bumper stickers or whatever, and it'd be gone. And I go, you're back to cutting out things and pasting them on things and mailing them out. <laughs> well, it does, it does teach you to be uh, pretty innovative here. So, uh, so we end up, um, you know, so I, I, I figured like, well, I guess I'm out, you know, I ran out of money and then I get like another $500 contribution. I'd be, well, I guess I'm back in. And so we had these people that uh, were all my, all the people that were with me were all volunteers, you know? So, uh, so we had a volunteer campaign and it, it actually, uh, we were able to pull it together. We're able to fight off uh, all the other, they put people up against me the the Republican party, because I was a new kid on the block. So I don't think they wanted me. Uh, certainly Democrats didn't want me. So uh, I was, I mean, you talk about being a real outsider and being the new kid on the block. They, nobody, I didn't spend 20 years dropping lid or anything like that. So I had to, <clears throat> I had to kind of make my arguments uh, pretty much myself and, and had a, had a, a had a very solid team that was helping me through it all. So it all it all worked out, and surprisingly, um, I got the nomination. I had to defeat three three in a primary for the nomination. Then I had to defeat two others in the uh, in the general election, uh, which it, I did. And because um, I think if I remember right, Steve ran as an independent in that election, didn't he? He did. He did. He decided uh, he made a mistake of uh, sending out a, an emissary to meet me when he knew I was thinking about doing this and, and said that he was going to run as an independent. I was like, okay, well that leaves the Republican ticket wide open. Yep. And, you know, and then, and then the Republicans, like I said, they put, 
they, they knew I had, uh, they, they put a local guy up against me uh, who had local credentials. And then they put, uh, they put a FBI guy, a retired FBI guy, I guess, because he had federal credentials. And then, of course, then you had uh, Ron Speakman, who was just, uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, but that guy was just kind of off the charts. There's always, there's always somebody. Oh, I remember, I remember him. Yeah. He's the one that sent a, 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 a pretty vulgar picture to a gal that he knew uh, he'd met the night before. Uh, and uh, that made it to the Washington Post. So it, that that story made not the not the photo, but the, the story Oops. made it to the Washington Post. Yeah, but there's no, as you know, in your position, there's no such thing as bad press. There's just press, right? At least he got his name out. <laughs> well, he did, he did. But uh, but I remember. So you know, uh, Pastor Gary Hamrick, he held a forum there, and I just remember going to the forum, and it was me, Simpson, and this guy, uh, Ron Speakman, and he, and he, you know, it was kind of like uh, when when Jay Leno interviewed Hugh Grant. It was like what the heck were you thinking? You know? Uh, so it was, uh, it was a pretty interesting way to start the conversation, uh, start the forum. But um, anyway, so, so I got the, uh, get the nomination, win the election. And then all of a sudden I got this uh, organization that's. Uh, oh, oh, Mike, I got to interrupt you for a sec. I just pulled up, I wanted to pull up an article. <laughs> December of 2011, Loudon Sheriff candidate Ron Speakman has eventful past. That's the headline <laughs> of the story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he would always tell people he had a colorful background there. Yeah, uh, uh, but he, but he was. I remember him meeting with me. We had coffee, and he was trying to get me to get out of the race. And he told me that the job paid a lot less than 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 it did. And he, you know, he was trying to get me to get out. And uh, he was actually at the time he he was going to get fired. I think from um, the Leesburg Police Department. And uh, it's a long story behind that. But it looked to me like he was going to get terminated. So he quit and he became a, a mortgage broker. And he was dealing a lot of subprimes. If you know, or if you remember back in the that 2008, 2009 time period mm-hmm. when the, the economy tanked a lot, it had to do with subprime mortgages. And I remember meeting with him at the IHOP and he says, uh, you know, he's like, hey, you know, you're not right for this job, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what, ma- what makes you think you're right for the job? Because, well, I was eight years of a Leesburg cop. And I said, well, I got, you know, whatever the time, like 25, 30 years in, in law enforcement, I've been all over the globe, you know? And, and, uh, he goes, yeah, because, but, but I'd be better because I know the area. And I said, Ron, I said, you're, you're a subprime mortgage broker. And, uh, he says, no, I'm a mortgage broker. I said, let me ask you something. I said, do you sell subprime mortgages? And he goes, yeah. And I said, that makes you a subprime mortgage broker. So uh, he never easy definition. Like that, but, oh, but Murph, anyway. you gotta, I gotta read one paragraph from this story. You wanted to, this is the candidate they put up against him. While married with two children, then officer Speakman launched an affair with a woman named Marty Miller, who also while also married with the child, subsequent divorce, which Loudoun County found judge they committed adultery. Anyway, um, she got charged for selling a house full of personal property while her husband was out of the country. Well, anyway, they get divorced. <laughs> uh, she and Speakman bought a house together in Springfield. And in 1993, Miller shot Speakman in the side with a 38 caliber revolver. Now, something like that's usually a serious crime. You so, can always tell how what the court thought about it by the sentence. Um, there was some weird shit going on. That's all I can say. Um, <laughs> she talked about being abused, but it said, but the end result was Miller was given a one year sentence, completely suspended and spent not a day in jail for shooting Speakman. What yeah. does that tell you about the facts of the case? So he was actually <laughs> married at the time and that was his girlfriend he was living with and he was messing around with another girl. So he got shot by the, by the, the, the girlfriend of, uh, whatever i mean it was like a freeway thing going on there and, and actually i went and i read the uh before i ran again you know when we were running against each other i went down and looked at the uh at the court 
uh, the court documents on that. And there's a lot more, even more to that story that that I have to tell you offline here that, it, uh, you know, the, the family docket there that that kind of details some other things that you might find shocking. And I'm like, my God, this guy's got he's got the stones to run for an office like this uh, with with this kind of a background. It was amazing. But oh, but he was God. one. And like I said, I had so I had to beat three in a primary. Then he decided to run as an independent and Steve ran as an independent, which kind of helped because it kind of helped split, it the, split vote. the vote. Yeah. And I, I, I won pretty, pretty resoundingly with 52%, I think at that, that, that go around. So it was pretty. Well, and your percentage has gotten. Yeah. 54.18%. Oh well, oh, okay. oh, <laughs> math was Steve's strong suit apparently. Yeah, which was well, your percentages have gotten better. Well, let's talk, let's let's focus in a little bit on Loudoun County because while Loudoun County is famous for a lot of things, like they've been in some they've been in several movies, several episodes. Like uh, I know one of the uh, new uh, Law and Order things on organized crime, Loudoun County, a data center, you know, kind of made it, but it wasn't really Loudoun County. But uh, but a lot of interesting things, but. I, I got to tell you, so I'm prefacing this by telling you a story about I was in San Antonio, Texas, speaking at a big conference down there. Five o'clock in the morning, I'm getting a ride back to the airport. And the lady's very nice, one of the Lyft drivers. She goes, oh, so where are you from? I said, I'm Northern Virginia. She goes, where? She goes, Loudoun County. Oh, Loudoun <laughs> County. <laughs> she knew what was everywhere I go. People have heard. Look, that's part of what I want to talk about. There's some big challenges in Loudoun County. Some of this was with the issues with the school board, um, with what happened in Stonebridge High School, where my kids went to. We've talked about fentanyl. So let's kind of dive into some of the stuff. And I want to work up to that part. That's kind of the, the coup de grace we'll start with. But I know when you started, too, Frank Wolf, I think, was still a member of Congress. Uh, that's right. Yeah. And you guys focused a lot on gangs. What's the gang issue like in Loudoun County now from when you started to what we're looking at now? The gang issue is is uh we don't we have very few problems with gangs uh, here in Lyon County. I can't tell you the last time I heard the name MS13, even though they're prevalent in a lot of many areas. Yeah, in the first couple of years I was on the job, we had uh, we had a 16 year old uh, named Santana who was killed down there at a bus stop because he wouldn't join uh, he wouldn't join one of the gangs, and then you had uh, he was killed by the gang bangers. Uh, I don't know if it was MS13 or 18th Street. I think it was MS13, and then you had another uh, fatal stabbing uh, about a year and a half later uh, with one of one of the gang members that he was in a ravine there in Ashburn. And aside from that, quite frankly, I would say Morgan, the reason that we uh, were pretty much ahead of the game on this is because, you know, knock on wood, I mean, we have a very, very robust school resource officer program. So our our people, our our deputies that are in these in these schools, they get to know who the gangbangers are, they get to know the problem kids are, they get to know the problem parents are, they get to know uh who the problem teachers are. You know, we get to know we get good relationships with the administration and all that. So what we're able to do is kind of head off this stuff in advance before it becomes too major of a problem. Uh, and so we've been able to to do that. We actually had uh, in Dominion High School, the last incident that we had that had anything to do with a gang, a gangbanger, I recall, was uh, this this one uh, uh, gangbanger who decided uh, in the cafeteria <clears throat> to assault uh, his principal. And then he has assaulted his teacher and our RSO shows up and this guy is built like a, like a brick house, man. And he used mm-hmm. to, you know, be a boxer and all that kind of stuff. So he goes over to, to try to uh, punch, uh, punch our guy and, and our guy just pops him and uh, <laughs> the kid goes down. And of course, the, the video that comes out on the iPhone is just our guy uh, right. taking a shot at him, you know, so we quickly 
quickly get the entire footage of the cafeteria and immediately put that out so everybody could see like, hey, wait a minute, this wasn't just our guy hitting mm-hmm. this guy. This guy had already assaulted his principal. He'd already assaulted his teacher and he was just working his way to our deputy. And uh, so anyway, that that was one of those things where, you know, you talk about working very closely with your media people and all that and working closely with the schools. We were able to quickly, quickly grab that footage, get it right out there. And the, the narrative that they were trying to push, like, you know, SRO assaults a 15 year old or whatever, it killed it like right off the bat, you know. And that was really about the last thing I can remember that really had anything to do with uh, any of our gangbangers. And that was just, a, you know, really a stupid kid thinking he could take on, uh, you know, our, our school resource officer. So, <clears throat> but we really have been very, very fortunate. I, I mean, I had a good relationship with Frank Wolf and, uh, and certainly Barbara Comstock. Um, Jennifer Wexon hasn't called me once in the uh, in the three years or, or or so she's been in in office there. Uh, it's kind of amazing, you know how how um, how politicized things have become. I mean, I don't I don't care. I mean, I've I've met with our uh, our Democrat uh, you know uh, uh, senators or, or state senators and delegates and stuff like that. Not a single phone call. And I tried to call. I tried to call her when she won the election, and she never, uh, never called back. And I was like, man. And then in th- you know three or four years now, she's never never called me once to ask what's going on, how they can help, what uh, you know anything about safe streets, nothing. Get nothing uh, from her, which is it's a shame, you know. But we're, right. I mean, we're, the the thing is that our, we've got such a good agency. We're doing so well with uh, with handling things like that. It's almost like it's not an issue. I know, <clears throat> you know, hung cat when he was running against her was uh you know it's almost because if you look nationally you look at crime nationally you'll see how how bad it is nationally with all the all the things that are going on in these cities and all the murders all the things that are going on and you look at Loudoun County and our crime rate since 2012 it's actually come down 47 percent since I've been in office so it's not you can't really use this this area here is leverage uh, in a political campaign and say, look, our crime's going up because Loudoun County, it's not. We're no, it's not. Yeah. I got to tell you, as a detective, I worked more homicides in a year than your sheriff's office did. <laughs> and that's and, and you guys were 10 times the size of our county. And that's I mean, it's just like it's it's a testament to the area because you got to realize Loudoun County, we've got Dulles Airport. You've right. got the confluence of all the defense contractors. You know, I just thought of one other thing I'm going to ask you about a little bit later. It's going to be the Metro. Um, but we've got all of these things happening. But look, so gangs kind of did that thing. But when did the rise of fentanyl start getting on your radar? Because, you know, we talked, we we had Derek on and we talked about the poisonings. Because I think there's a difference between overdose and poisonings. Right. And, and these are poisonings. I remember, too, and it was one of the kids here in Loudoun County. And I think you guys made a case on the people who supplied it to him. I think they lived down by Aldi. Uh, you remember the young man? He had just gotten out of rehab, went to a party, was given a pill, and then died. Mm-hmm. Right. Pretty, afflu- pretty affluent family. I mean, the estate and I mean, it, but this kid had just gotten out of rehab. Somebody gave him a pill, one pill, right. and the kid died. We've had some luck working with the Eastern District uh, U.S. Attorney's Office there in prosecuting, and the DEA certainly in prosecuting some of these cases, getting Title 21 charges. If we can, when we've been able to identify the source of supply uh, for some of these. These people have died in overdoses. It's uh, that's that's one thing I brought up before about the Narcan. Now that it's being administered uh, by family members and everything else, that's gonna that's gonna cut down a, a degree of our intelligence as to what's going on and, and the the frequency of overdoses and everything else. However, we we did we've done pretty well on keeping in touch with that. I would say that about probably six seven years ago, we started seeing an uptick in heroin. Uh, coming in a lot of the border issues and and as you know steve we had the uh 
we had a DA museum that we were able to get out here. It was on hiatus, mm-hmm. and that's a to get the DA traveling museum out. It's really about a hundred hundred fifty thousand dollar uh, venture. We were able to get it for free because it was in hiatus. I worked with Bill Alden, who at the time was in in charge of all that, and we got that out here. We started holding forums. We started trying to get. We tried to get the school uh, field trips there. Didn't have too much luck with that. Had some some luck with that, mostly with private schools, but. Uh, the, the public school system didn't seem to be all that interested in it, but we did hold some really good forums there. What is the traveling? Just let everybody know. What, what is the traveling? Is it a big truck tractor trailer? You know, what is yeah, it? What it is, is actually they come in, they set up. We had to get the space. Uh, we had to find a building that we could put this in, that we could house us in for, I don't know, I think it was like three months or something yeah. like that. So we, we yeah. were able to house us in. And I mean, it's almost like if you've ever been to the DA uh, Museum in headquarters or or any, it's, I mean, DA Museum is really in headquarters. It's, it's not all that big, but it's certainly like Smithsonian level quality, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the traveling museum is pretty close to that. It's small but it, it but it actually hits a lot of the key points that are going on and at the time we started seeing heroin was, was starting to tick up so we started we, we we formed a group we called it the heroin operations team and it was really a, a, a configuration of many many uh stakeholders that were part of that in order to fight this thing like i mentioned before about the fentanyl form that we had, we had a lot of stakeholders there. We even had Chris Heron, uh, which was, uh, he had, a, uh, I think it was called Project or Operation Purple or something like that, where he's a former uh, basketball NBA player whose life got destroyed by, by, by heroin addiction. And so we were able to get a lot of good things going with that. Uh, and then what happened was we started seeing over time that heroin uh, was getting, started to get laced with fentanyl. Okay. And then over time, heroin became less and less and fentanyl became more and more and and as both of you know i mean the cost of producing fentanyl is is so minuscule i mean mm-hmm. the chemicals originally were coming from china and going down to mexico and and you know the two the two areas are you talking Sinaloa cartel and the jalisco uh new generation cartels are the ones that are that are producing all this stuff my understanding now is that they're actually producing their own chemicals so even though china got the ball rolling on that it's almost exclusively all coming out of mexico and uh, you've only got two areas down there, really, where it's coming out of. But you got porous borders, so the, the porous borders are bringing it up here. So we're seeing, we're seeing fentanyl up here, um, not to the degree other people are. However, we did an operation um, uh, a couple uh, a couple years ago, and I'll think of the name of it in just a, a minute. And the uh, the name of the the operation uh, was it was it, it, it stemmed from the Sinaloa cartel uh, uh, traversed uh, seven states uh and we we actually recovered uh, two kilos of fentanyl that were destined for this area that would have killed everybody in this county a couple times everybody over. yeah Jeez. so uh so we've been uh uh we, we've been really really busy with all this and, and trying to trying to make kids aware we just finally now that you have uh, and i know you're going to get into school stuff but now that we're kind of moving on beyond this current superintendent and the uh, and this particular school board, the schools are now uh, wanting to get more engaged uh, with us with regards to providing programs and teaching people about the you know what's going on in the drug issue. And we just finished I think it was like five or seven different um, high schools that that we went to and and went ahead and addressed with the school system what's going on with the with the fentanyl problem. It used to be we would get. We would get the auditoriums from the school, and it would. I'd get a couple, couple guys from DEA, you know, from uh, uh, Operation was Operation Angels Envy. So you could probably find that in the press. Uh, but I would get people from uh, from DEA that would uh, 
uh, that would come out, you know, and, and you know, Carl Holder, uh, some of these folks out of the Washington field office, and we'd have more people presenting. Uh, we'd have an auditorium. We'd have like three people there. We'd have like five people presenting. Uh, so we couldn't really get the interest up. It only the only only time the interest spikes is if somebody in that school uh, you know, dies as a result of an overdose or gets, uh, or there, there's a, a, an identified problem or you get somebody that's distributing and all of a sudden all the parents care, but unless they're, they really see some, uh, something tangible, they, they tend to not really, really, uh, get all that involved, but we're starting to get them more and more involved because we're working directly with the schools. The last couple of presentations I was at one had over a hundred, one had over 50 or 60 or so. So we're doing a lot better now. People are, people are actually taking note of what's going on there, which is extremely important. It is, you know, shame on the school board from back that time, uh, from the superintendent and the board members, because it didn't matter where you went. Uh, just like Morgan said, people find that you're from Loudoun County and they talk about all the crap that was going on there with the school system. When when Connie and I moved to Orlando 18 months ago, it was amazing how many messages I got from people, you know, colleagues mostly, like, about time you got out of that shithole up there. And, wow. and Loudon is such well, a no, nice no, no, place. Hold on. I'm going to – Loudon is not a shithole, but there were some um, – you traitorous bastard. You moved to Florida on me. Uh, Murph just lived five minutes like from my house here. But uh, no, but I do want to get into that a little bit, too, because they have made the news. And I, I can tell you, too, I am I'm one of those people. It's like, look, I'm selfish. I want to make sure my county has the best equipment, the best training, because I live here. You know, I've been here 23 years now. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's so for me, it's very important. We cover these things. But I got to tell you, and this let's talk about this. Murph and I did an episode on this and we got some hate mail, hate tweets. That's OK, because we took a position. But I want to kind of walk through because this whole thing with the school board, I, you know, I'm going to stay out of the CRT stuff because that's kind of like an educational thing. Right. But it, it, but it did create some very contentious board meetings you folks had to handle. But it goes back to I want to talk about this really this incident that has continues to make the news. I, I will turn on and I'll hear some news talking about Loudoun County and the assaults, you know, and the other stuff. So mm-hmm. let's talk about. You know, because there was a uh, AG investigation on it, so right. people are getting charged with perjury because of that. Let's kind of right. walk through the real story behind this, because I tell you, this happened in my school where my kids went to school. My daughter it was a few years removed, but those same bathrooms my daughter was in. So let's kind of walk through this thing that is kind of between the CRT and this incident had put Loudon in the news. So you had a uh, a sexual assault. Well, first of all, the CRT, and you might want to get this book. Ian Pryor just wrote a book, and I just got a copy the other day and started reading through it. And it, and it really does go into the CRT. Uh, and not to not to spend much time on that, but but you did have uh, six of the school board members there, all from one party, that were <clears throat> that were all engaged in this uh, in this, these email exchanges, these Facebook exchanges, and they wanted to go after anybody that didn't agree with. Uh, yeah critical with the teaching of critical race theory and they would say we're not teaching critical race theory yet in their own emails they would refer to it as critical race theory so it's like well what are you, what are you actually saying here you know and, and if you didn't agree with with them they would go after you they would dox you and all that dox so, you, yep so what happened was you ended up having this uh conflict that that really started getting pretty elevated so you had the the people that were for uh critical race theory were going against the uh the folks that were against it and it got volatile on both sides. And so, and I would always get these calls like, hey, that's a threat. This is, you know, we need to have somebody arrested. I'm like, well, you know, it's got to hit certain levels. It's, it, it's got to be, you know, pretty specific. And and, and, and it's, you know, as, as you know, just just trying to uh, <clears throat> identify people based on IP addresses. And then, you you know, you, 
you got to ensure that that was actually the person that was behind the screen. And I mean, it, there's really a lot that goes into that. So we end up doing a, a very extensive investigation, working with the FBI on this, a very extensive investigation on this. And uh, and I'm getting pressure from both sides on this. How can you not charge this? I got threatened. And how can you not charge that? And so what I decided to do was to just go ahead and uh, and publish our investigation. Just say, look, you guys, you know, you think I'm favoring one side or favoring the other. I'm not. I'm looking at this across the board and whether or not there's anything that rises to a criminal violation. So we went ahead and we prepared an executive summary, put this on top of the report, redacted what we had to redact, and then released the study. And we did that. So it's like if you felt like you were being uh, attacked uh, it threatened, uh, you know, by by way of email or whatever, that you could actually take your take this part of the report, go to a magistrate and and get a warrant out yourself, you know. So I put it back on the people themselves, you know, uh, which for me was a, really kind of a good move. And then I remember being interviewed by uh, Cheryl Atkinson, uh, full measure. We kind of went into that uh, quite a bit and I uh, explained all that. So it really it really kind of threw it back on the people that were engaged rather than people expecting me to take mm-hmm. take one side or the other. And that's that's the one problem I would say that when you're uh, when you're politically elected and it's it's and we'll get into this, I'm sure, in, in a minute, the difference between uh, being elected versus being appointed. But there are people that expect you in a job like this to take a political stance on something when once I'm elected, I'm everybody's sheriff and I've got to stay as apolitical as I can. I'm conservative. I don't I don't deny that. Uh, You know, I'm a Republican. I don't deny that. But however, that once you're the job, you're everybody's sheriff and you've got to. I never heard any call. Well, you guys responding to a call where the first thing the dispatcher says, can you check their voter registration, see if they're already (laughs) when you're check when you're responding to a robbery, you're responding to an accident. There's no checking up. People got to get past this fiction that. They're yeah. somehow it's politicized, not at the tip of the spear. You know, right. Nashville cops, those guys that did that heroic stuff, stopping that shooter. Right. That's got to be a nightmare, too. But, you know, nobody stopped to check, you know, your political. So, so what you saw, uh, what you saw, Morgan, was you saw the tensions already starting to be elevated here. OK, yeah. so the, the school board, I think basically to talk about that. And then you have a, a guy, Scott Smith, as you know, and his daughter was sexually assaulted. Uh, by a guy uh, who uh, who wore a uh, a skirt going into the ladies' room. Well, there's a little more to it than that, and I can't really get into it uh, the details on that. But all I would say was that that the suspect and the victim were were known to each other. Um, and uh, and so what happened was, um, in order to validate uh, validate what had happened there, her her claim, we had to get the forensic evidence. We had to get forensic evidence, and we immediately notified the school. They immediately, and quite to, to the contrary to what Scott Ziegler said publicly, that they didn't know anything about that. He put out an email that very same day. That, that day. The, that's the one of the things that came back to haunt him is that here's your email that day saying what happened. So so this is what I had to deal with over at the school. Okay, You have a school board that's taking these very activist position on what they're teaching over there, and they don't want to hear anything that's negative. We actually had when the attorney general announced that he was going to do a a, a a grand jury investigation into this. We had three people that were members of our board of supervisors got up and walked out. And then all of a sudden, after after Scott Ziegler gets indicted, they're they're like the, the typical political. Oh, yeah, well, that's good that they did that. We need to get rid of them. It's like, well, you were the ones that got up and walked out. Yeah. Uh, when when you just heard the mention of the fact that the school superintendent and the school board was going to be investigated. So so anyway, the tensions were high. We were following up. We did all of the notifications that we're supposed to do, child protective services, the schools, uh, the juvenile court. We did all the notifications. Uh, and um, but a lot of that stuff is done. It's certainly at levels below me. But 
but it's all done uh, by, uh, you know, either by email, by transmission, by by paper, whatever. And I read the emails in the paper. I got to tell I read Ziegler's response and your responses back to him talking about the role of CPS and right. how notifications are supposed to go. I mean, it's it, folks email. It's here's a pro tip for you folks. If you don't want people to find out about it, don't write an email and don't leave <laughs> traces all over the freaking Internet. Well, I t- I'll tell you what, the one thing that upset me and I actually talked to the attorney general about this. One thing upset me was that in, in that. There's was like a 25 page grand jury report that came out. There were like 70 attachments there. And th- there was some indication that I wasn't communicating with Ziegler, you know. And the fact of the matter is, is first of all, most of the communication that you have in a, these kinds of assaults are done at levels below. And then it, it goes, it's supposed to go up to the school administration and then th- by us to them, to the school administration. Okay. But the fact of the matter was, was I had direct, as you saw, Morgan, I had direct communication with him, several extensive communications. And those, and the seven, and, and there was an indication in the report that I wasn't communicating with him. And I went to uh, I went to J, uh, the attorney general of my arse and I said, "Hey, look, out of all the documents that were included in that grand jury report, the two that I would have liked to have been in there weren't in there. That showed clearly that I was communicating with him. And how the grand jury could have come to that conclusion or come to that assumption that I wasn't communicating was actually false because because you saw there was extensive. It was in the public record." You know, so I was kind of like, well, wait a minute, how did that not make the grand jury report? But anyway, uh, overall, the report, uh, 26 pages or whatever, eight findings all against the school, nothing against us. We did everything we were supposed to do, all the notifications and all that. So I cringe when I look at uh, what happened with the arrest there. And, uh, and of course, I've got people like uh, w- when that happened, I was actually uh, I was actually at a conference in, in Phoenix, Arizona, National Sheriff's Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. And you mentioned the arrest. Give people contact when you say the arrest. Okay, yeah. So it's it's Scott Smith. So Scott Smith gets into a little pushing and shoving match, which is the father of the girl. Who, by the way, we want people to know this is not conjecture anymore. The 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 youth, the man, the the kid was convicted. He was charged right. or found guilty of these offenses. So this is this is settled case already. That's right. That's right. So Scott Smith. Uh, and a neighbor get into it a little bit. Uh, and Scott Smith's daughter was the one who was sexually assaulted. So he gets, they get into it with this neighbor and a little pushing and shoving goes on. Our guys go to try to break it up. And Scott ends up pushing one of our deputies and this deputy uh, takes him down uh, for, for disorderly conduct. Uh, things were starting to get out of hand. People were, you know, in so he did, he, you know, he did what he was supposed to do. He, he made an arrest and, and anybody that was there, will tell you that, and even Scott Smith will probably tell you that, yeah, things were getting out of hand. So I don't mm-hmm. think he was all that upset about being arrested. The other guy was, and I'll get into that in a minute. <clears throat> but so so Scott Smith uh, uh, gets arrested there. And, uh, and of course, that's the that's the scene that makes the national news. And I'm I'm over in Phoenix, Arizona, and I get uh, I get this call from, um, you know, WMAL. Because I peri- periodically go on. Uh, WMAL. Are you with Larry uh, Connor or Vince or yeah, Larry O'Connor? Larry. So, so, you know, and it's just a three-hour time difference. So, like, hey, you know, sure, we got some <laughs> questions. We need you to explain some things. And like, oh God, and I'm just seeing it on TV like everybody else. And I'm calling my guys. What happened here? Can you tell me what happened here? You know, so they tell me they tried to. <clears throat> he got disorderly. Then they tried to clear the room, and this other guy, John uh, Tiggis, wouldn't leave. Um, and and he wanted to get arrested. Uh, he's got a he's got a place out there in Hamilton. I think he wanted the notoriety of getting arrested because he refused to leave. And uh, the judge uh, in the ultimate, he even though his case got dismissed on an appeal, 
the judge uh, on that particular case said no the sheriff's office did what they were supposed to do they acted appropriately so that was that was not a problem on us you know we, but mike we, i gotta tell you you talk about political the optics of it when is the last time you heard of a commonwealth's attorney getting involved in a disorderly conduct case and <laughs> prosecuting it themselves well what i find really ironic about that is that she put out a memo, as you probably know, uh, back in January that says she's not going to they're not going to prosecute any misdemeanor cases. And yet she's the one that sat on two misdemeanor, a disorderly conduct uh, and a. And in when when uh, things refused to leave, you know, so so you had to trespass. So those are two misdemeanor cases that she personally uh, prosecuted. Yet if there's a political aspect to it, she'll prosecute it. That's an activist Commonwealth attorney mm-hmm. for you, where like when I was telling you before is like. I don't do any of that activist stuff. I mean, I, I'll go to, you know, I'll, I'll support candidates. And it's rare that I even give endor- endorsements, but I'll support candidates that, that I believe in that that uh, have proven to me that that they're a good fit for a particular. Uh, but I don't really I don't get into all this activism and marching and, you know, all this other kind of stuff that some of these other people do. Well, she does. And and instead of being uh, a legitimate um conscientious prosecutor when it comes to criminal law in the U.S. Constitution and the Virginia Constitution, she uses that as a political forum to uh, to make a political statement. And I, I just think that's wrong. And I I kind of suspect when when she put that notice out there in January about not prosecuting misdemeanors, I think that was a, a political move to lock in her base there. And, and Well, and, it was a quick retraction. Well, that memo was released without my approval. That was a, No, nothing like that at that level gets released without the bo- approval of the boss. I don't care. It's like it's like putting out a memo from the White House. Well, the president says, well, unless the president says that, you kind of right. got a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I've tried to do, and uh, and of course, even some of the Democrats on the board came in against her, and I sent her an email and said, look, I want to know specifically, because then she walked it back in a meeting with some of our people, but but she didn't walk it back in writing. So I said, look, I want in writing. I want to know exactly what you will and what you won't prosecute. I don't want to hear, you know, you're going to tell us one thing. You're going to tell somebody else something else. I need to know specifically what it is that you will and you won't prosecute. So um, anyway, so that's a difficulty that we've had with her office. I mean, we haven't we haven't stopped doing our job. I, I talked, I went to Ashby Ponds the other day and I talked to a group down there and I said, look, because uh, they asked about that. I said, I we have our, certainly have our uh, our problems there. Her, her staff has turned over one and a half times uh, since she's been there. So that means that everybody that worked in uh, in the Commonwealth Attorney's Office before under the un, under Jim Plowman had already had already left had left and then everybody that she's hired had left and she's on her third round in three years of uh of prosecutors there so you have both a uh, a willingness to prosecute cases problem and you've got an administrative organizational management problem so you you, you know all, all across the board there's uh, there's problems with that office and this is what what we have to deal with all we want to do is make sure we're doing everything that we can to keep the county safe and a lot of that has to do with putting people in jail you know if you're mm-hmm. if you're a violent criminal we want to put you in jail we don't want you uh, on an ankle monitor or whatever we want you in jail so we don't have to worry about you going out and you know uh, hitting your uh, your wife with a claw uh, hammer handle or something well we've we've got we've we've interviewed some guys like Dominic Polifron he knows some guys you know i got a guy dominic was a guy who did the uh, 
Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman and stuff. So, you know, Michael Franzese, we actually interviewed a former capo regime of the Colombo crime family. Okay. We know people. We know they all all their names in an aval too. Sure. Murphy yeah. ends in aval too. Are you part of the Irish mob, Murphy? <laughs> I have no comment on that, Your Honor. <laughs> yeah. Well, but but these are interesting. You know, there's an I don't know if it's an old Chinese proverb that says, May you live in interesting times, but these are an interesting times around because what I'm seeing is you know, like you, Murph and I, this is probably the most political we've ever been on a podcast because we pretty much right. say we, we don't get into it. But right. but I think it's important to talk about this because there's two things I want to talk to you about. It's really about the accountability, because I think right. people vote what they really want, you know, and do you get what you vote? We're right. You know, elections have consequences. So the reason I want to talk about is why, what's why this recent move that I think you guys did a really good job of tamping down, of trying to change the police department or the, the uh, sheriff's office into a police department like Fairfax County police. Um, I want you to talk about that, but I also want you to talk about it from the aspect of why we can't, this whole thing of defund police, the, these things have real consequences in communities. And I think the voters made it very clear in your last election. Um, I mean, overwhelmingly in a county that was turning blue, you know, going blue, the whole county, almost the whole county board ended up being Democrat. Right. You you had a resounding victory. And I think it's because people said, we don't want this defund this stuff. We, we you know, we want to be safe in Loudoun County. So kind of walk through structurally in the Virginia, you know, being a kind of a home rule state, what's the importance of having a constitutional officer like sheriff versus turning it into a county police department? So you have to understand that we're in an unusual area here. We're in Northern Virginia. And because of Northern Virginia, it's not common throughout the country. But if you grow up in the Washington, D.C. area, you see these police, these county police departments in Montgomery County, uh, Howard County, Prince William County, Prince George's County. And so there's this assumption that that's kind of normal. I grew up thinking that, like, everybody has a county police department. It's pretty rare, actually, <clears throat> you know, when you when you look across the country. So we, uh, we're we kind of like the old traditional model here. What happened was over time, so I think it was that 60 or 70 years ago that Fairfax County changed their form of government, which is a strong form of government, uh, it would, which would give a, uh, a county executive more power uh, to do a lot of these things than, than, than our county executive, who's, who's a county administrator, uh, has because the county administrator is appointed and answers directly to the uh, to the board of supervisors. So the chairman of the board, in this case, the chairwoman of the board, has a majority vote. Uh, she pretty much runs the county. Okay, so uh, and she runs the county administration, and they have to do what what basically what she wants, or they're out of a job. So we have a different form of government than Prince William, than Fairfax County, and all that. But what bothered the the chairwoman of the board was the fact that I I came in against her on a couple of things during the uh you know that she wanted to do she wanted to to spend twenty million dollars to uh to form a new emergency communication center when ours was already brand new we were already working with each other and I thought wait a minute why do we need to spend that money when we could just dual train our people rather than uh, we're already working together over there all we got to do is make sure. Uh, that that they they both know how to handle calls. And she was upset about that. She was upset that I I disagreed with that because they wanted to have all my people report to the county and come under the county administration uh, in dispatch. And it, what that would have meant was like, even though they report and do everything in the direction of the county, if anything goes wrong, I'm the one to blame. Okay, I get the I get the the fallout from that, not them. So so I, I disagreed with that, and and so she was not happy about that. So she decided that she's going to make a police department here so that she can control a police chief. And what you're seeing here, and you don't have to go far. I mean, you got to look at some of the counties that surround us. Look at uh, look at what happened a couple of years ago uh, in Fairfax County with uh, with the deputy or the, I'm sorry, the officer there, Timberlake, who used a taser on somebody. And, uh, and 
you know, in the the, the chief at the time gets gets right on with uh, Toscano, another George Soros funded uh, Commonwealth attorney, uh, like like Buda Bibberai, and immediately holds a press conference the very next day. And and not only do they they don't even say we're going to investigate; they're already charging their their police officer with assault uh, on using a taser. It was you know certainly. Uh, if you looked at the video, uh, there, there's certainly two sides of that argument there. At least, l- at least investigate this thing first. And so that really killed the morale uh, of those folks there. But what it has to do with is that that the chiefs here, the chiefs have to answer to uh, whoever appointed them, whether it's a mayor, a county executive, a board of supervisors, whatever the case is. And what's happened now is the agendas have gotten so political that you can have chiefs that have enormous qualifications, extensive, uh, you know, training and extensive uh, education and background and experience. But they have to answer to politicians that don't know a thing about what we do and how we do it. And and whatever seems to be topical at the time, politically advantageous at the time is where the boards go, is where the mayors go and all that. And if you're a chief and you don't do what you're told to do, hey, you're out of a job. We're going to get somebody that will do what we tell them to do. So big, big problem there. So the thing is, is with being elected and we're the largest full service sheriff's office in all of Virginia. So we have about 800 people. We have a jail, the courts, we handle uh, um, uh, civil civil uh, issues. We also handle uh, all the um, uh, enforcement. We got investigators, uh, you know, crime scene experts, motorcycles. We got, we got it all. Okay, so, so we are basically uh, the equivalent of a police department and a sheriff's office all wrapped in one, which actually is quite good because we have a, a standing uh, eight thirty meeting every morning with our command staff, where everybody sits at the table. Usually, they go about an hour and a half. We talk about everything that's going on. Kind of a version of CompStat. Yeah. It, it does, and it and it actually gets everybody. Because there are things that happen at the jail that that impact uh, us in, in enforcement. There are things that happen at the court that might impact the jail, vice versa. So it's nice to kick everything around with the what the important issues of the day are. Go through it and make sure we're not missing anything, you know. But it also keeps everything under one roof. I've been in enforcement my whole life, and so I never really worried about much after I lock somebody up. You know, we lock them up and try to get a good sentence on them, and that was the end of it. It know? was then the U.S. Attorney, the U.S. Marshals, everybody else takes care of everything else. Exactly, and so what? So what? Now that I have a jail, it's like, hey, wait a minute. I just got to look at, are we providing these the folks that are coming out the right programs that they need to get the to, to go in the right direction so they're not re, so they don't recidivate? You know, so there's a lot that we that I never really thought about before I became sheriff that that we actually have to do here to try to make sure that we're getting... <laughs> kind of one of those things after you got elected, you say, wait a minute, what did I just sign up for? Holy cow! <laughs> I well, never. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Morgan. I, I thought I thought I put a lot of hours in DEA, and I certainly did. And public affairs, but throughout my entire DEA career. And honest to God, I have never worked so hard. People, you know, like, oh, I know from your 1145 p.m. email last night saying, what's the link yeah. for today? Just fortunately, my plane was late from Chicago. I'm still connected. Here's the link for tomorrow. And you replied at 1210 a.m. this morning saying, got it. So these are so this is my retirement job. Uh, and so uh, so not so. OK, so it's not much, uh, you know, it's not much of a retirement job. I can tell you that I never worked so hard in my life, but I enjoy it. And if I didn't like it, I still I, I wouldn't be doing it. I'm, I'm enjoying what we're doing. And uh, but but the but the value of being elected, getting back to your point here, the value about being elected is that we represent the people that we serve directly. I remember, so I still carry my my TS and SCI clearances from my time in DEA and Booz Allen and then getting a re-up when I was here. And I remember um, 
FBI agent came out to to re up uh, to re up me, and as you know, this uh, as you know, Steve, these SF eighty sixes are like like oh, 50, 50 pages long, and everybody's mine's, in the book. mine's not that long. It's like forty two pages, but those five year <laughs> investigations. Hey, what do you think of this guy? Does it you know? Would you trust him? Hell no. <laughs> so yeah, so you know that you know how long these things are, and all the detail you got to put into that. So I have this thing filled out, and the FBI guy investigator comes in and he says uh he goes hey you got everything filled out here but there's this block here that you didn't fill out says uh you know who do you report to and i said well i i actually report to the citizens he goes yeah yeah but but who like in the chain of command do you report to uh and i said dude do you not understand how a sheriff's (laughs) office works (laughs) who was on your interview board (laughs) i said i said the citizens he goes yeah yeah he goes but don't you have like a county administrator and i said we do and i work with him and i work with the board of supervisors but I don't report to him. And he goes, he goes, well, I, I don't know what to put in this block. I said, well, look, I said, give me a couple of days. I'll get you all 400,000 names, but it's going to take me a few days, you know? So he didn't Here's know. Something to, to the voter rolls. Go, go, go have yourself. <laughs> but, but getting back to your question, that's the advantage here. I tell people that people, people ask me that. And I say, you're the boss. You know, uh, when I'm out there, the citizens say, you're the boss. We listen to everything that they have to say. You know, every single morning I, I, I get emails. I'm part of the email system that, that every complaint that comes in, I see every uh, compliment that comes in, I see. So I see everything that comes in and I either assign it. Sometimes I'll pick the phone up and call myself and say, Hey, I saw you complain about this. Let me explain why we do this or do that. And generally the complaints are pretty small. It's like, Hey, somebody parked the wrong direction, you know, on my street or they're blocking my, my driveway or whatever. But, but, uh, but we get about four compliments to every complaint. So generally speaking, there's just probably less than uh, a half a dozen complaints that came in that we really had to assign to IA to look into, but, but, uh, you know, and that's over like a 12 year span. So, so generally speaking, they're pretty minor things, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that I see it and people it's perception. It's what people mm-hmm. perceive. And, and I think, and I think about everybody in this County has my cell phone number and I think everybody in this County has my email address. So, so I get stuff like, all day and all night long, as you, as you mentioned there, you know. I'm yeah, you got that. I see that phone is plugged into a Tesla battery. You got that thing constantly charging. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's 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 insane. But um, but the thing is, is that pe- it's it's the responsiveness that we have, and it's because of that and our community engagement that we do so that we do so well. And that's why when you look at our approval ratings, we generally the last time they rated us. In five different categories, we rated from 87 to 97%. So, you you know, average about 93% or so citizen satisfaction rating. Um, our status, you know, internally, when IACP did the study, okay, so, yeah. so Phyllis Randall <clears throat> commissions the study because, you know, what happened was back in July of 2020, they were going to slip this thing under the board for referendum. I didn't think it was coming because it was taking so long. I didn't think it was coming. Well, uh, it did. And fortunately, we had spent a year doing a our own um, our own internal study, which was about a hundred hundred pages long, with about a three page bibliography. It was very very objective, and so we dropped that. and And as you know, Morgan, we sent things countywide here so people could see exactly what was going on. Oh, I I read I read the report. They tried to they tried to slip this in, so they didn't like their report, and they had it gave them pause. So they didn't go ahead and take this to referendum, which would have been they would have had the votes to do it. If it was the time to do it, that would have been it. So they decide then they want to do a a a, a, a study. They want to hire a consultant to do a study. They get IECP comes in, does a study, and IECP comes in after about an eight month study. And they they come in and say, look, 
uh, not only are, are you having more success with, with the job that you're doing here at Lyon County Sheriff's Office than anybody in the area, your response times are as good or better than everybody else, your, your, your follow-up is better than everybody else, your case closure rates are higher than everybody else your citizen satisfaction ratings are higher than anybody else. Even your internal ratings, your employee ratings were at 89%. I, I, so I take that number against anybody, any law enforcement organization right now, but certainly mm-hmm. even the private sector, you talk about 89% of internal approval uh, rating by your employees is, is pretty phenomenal, you know? So, and, and then we're doing all this and then they well, in North Korea, I heard it's a hundred percent for Kim Jong-un. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, if you, if you take them out of the equation, I think we're, I think it's down to 1%. Yeah. I think we're standing pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, but it was, uh, so, so we had a, so it, it was a pretty, uh, pretty successful for us. And they said, Oh, by the way, you're about 79 positions short. Uh, so, so we actually were able to use that, that study to our advantage then when we came in and asked for positions, usually when I, when I ask for positions, I get hammered like crazy. Why do you need this? Why do you need that? And a couple of years ago, I, you know, I usually ask for about, I don't know, four or five, maybe six deputies. And, and I get hammered. What do you need this? And don't you have this? And can't you move somebody here and do this and do that? So a couple of years ago, uh, I asked for, I asked for a cook for the jail. Okay. I got one cook. And if that guy's sick, you know, they, they still got to eat, you know? So I asked for a cook at the jail. And I, the board like hammers me. Why do you need a cook at the jail? You know, and then they coined it cooks for crooks. And so it was a big joke. And so I go into next year, I asked for, I asked for a cook. They won't give it to me. It's like a $50,000 a year job. So I'm like, well, I need it. I need a cook. So, uh, so they won't give it to me the next year. They won't give it to me. They, they all laugh cooks for crooks. I go in a third year and I don't ask for anything except for a cook. Uh, so so they're like, why are, you, why are you asking for a cook? And I said, I said, well, I said, last time, last couple of times you coined a cooks for crooks. And I see a couple of you on the board smirking. And I said, it, it, it may be funny. I said, but the fact of the matter is, is our inmates, they actually need to eat, you know, and uh, we need to have a second cook there. And I said, if I can't get a $50,000 a year cook, why would I ask for anything else? Then they take a recess and they come back and they start throwing positions at me. They're like, don't you need a couple more traffic people? Don't you need a couple more of this, couple more of that? So a little reverse psychology worked that time. So this time we were able to take the report that we had from IACP and said, look, we're 79 people short we're only asking for 36. So we're going to, we're going to split that number. We're only asking for, <clears throat> for 36. And, uh, and that's, you know, so we, we got that approved, although there's one supervisor there that wants to challenge that still. Uh, so we'll see what happens next week on that. But I think we're, I think we're pretty solid. So we were able to use that study that was, that they were trying to uh, use against us so that they could show that we were inefficient. Mm-hmm. That'd be better. Make a but Mike, but run. people don't people don't realize they 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 thought they went because IACP folks stands for the International Association of Chiefs of Police. You think That's that right. would have been very favorable to say, yeah, you need yes. another police agency. Mm-hmm. The IACP came back and said, not only do you not need another agency, things are working fine. It's going to cost you, I think it was what, north of 45 or 50 million to transition exactly, a department uh, over a 10 year period, 300 million. And they said, <sighs> not going to make anything any better. Your people are trained exactly the same as they would be trained if you were a police department. We go to the same training. Uh, your, your, all your ratings are, mm-hmm. are higher than everybody else around. And all it would do would be to cause disruption. And all it would do basically would give the power of the, uh, you, you know, 
would be a power grab by the by the chairman. Of you the would board. put a buffer. Right. You would put a buffer between your accountability between the public and the person who's serving them. That's why I'm a big fan of sheriffs. I, you know, when I was a trooper, worked a lot with sheriffs. They were very accountable to the public. I tell mm-hmm. you, who loved the sheriffs was the posse comitatus because they didn't believe in anybody except a constitutionally elected officer. So that's right. You know, I remember when the when the county commission was going to have their meeting to to really vote, and then they didn't. You know, they had a back the blue rally there at the, right. at the uh, courthouse in Leesburg. And I came down and it was very, very encouraging to see how many people showed up there to support you and the sheriff's department. They did. You know, our people, we got the best. I mean, honestly, it's a great county. When I, I mean, uh, there there are some things that really need some work here. And I think, honestly, with the school. Why did you look at me when you said that? <laughs> a, we all do, Morgan. <laughs> There's a, uh, there, you know, the school board is going to be, every one of them is going to be out and you're going to, and so you're going to have a new superintendent, you're going to have an entirely new school board. So I think that's really, uh, if you need to repair something, that's it. Public safety, I think people take it for granted uh, that we have such good success. They don't realize how, how hard our folks work and how stretched mm-hmm. we are, but we do it because we, we take the time. Our, our citizen engagement is, is got to be better than everybody around us because we, we really are. It's all about community policing here. Well, if you'd gotten the positions that were commensurate with the growth of the county, I mean, your your agency might be 25% bigger. I mean, Loudoun County for several years was the fastest growing county in the United States. Well, the only reason it's not is because the math doesn't work out, you know, from a number standpoint. But let's well, close out with the final few minutes here. Let's talk about... Your approach has been to this this defund the police and the impact it is and how you guys, because I like to your point, crime has gone down, even though murder was at a hundred year high, highest homicide rate in hit recorded history. Right. You know, we, we're not, I, I feel, I feel that's like, um, I can't, I pinch myself. I go, why are we not feeling this? We've got the Metro coming out here now, right. you know, that's new. So let's finish up the last few minutes, just talking sure. about your approach, your philosophy around why the defund the police isn't going to work, especially in an area like this. So I think uh, what you look at is we, we kind of live in a bubble here, and it's because I think we take uh, and, and it all has to do with all the things I said before about what ICP came back with and said, look, because you're doing all these things and our community engagement is second to none. And and, and and honestly, that has a lot to do with the fact that I'm elected, because if uh, quite frankly, uh, Morgan, if people don't like what I'm doing, I'm out of a job, you know, and I, I, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can. As an R in a trending blue county, you know, I mean, the yeah. fact that you got elected with those numbers again tells people they vote for what they want. They want public safety. Yeah. And you feel like, and even the last time, there was a lot of uh, of folks in this county that are really anti-Trump and uh, and still voted uh, for me, <clears throat> even though um, you know I was on the Republican side of the ticket, because because we really are apolitical. But what we do is we we really take an interest in the citizens that we serve, and that's a real credit. That's a real credit to the people that work here and the expectation that's here. We we strive for excellence. We've had more people that have gone and advanced their education here than ever in the past. We have people that that look at this job. We've actually had so we had my my under sheriff just got the police chief job in sugarland texas uh i have another uh major that just got the deputy chief job and that is a rough job down there my uh wife's cousins he made a bunch of money in the oil business he's got a sugarland is is a, is a high rent area my it's friend not sugar, it's yeah. not sugar he's not sweet is it <laughs> So, so you have that, and I have one that just went down to the uh, to be the assistant chief at, at Alexandria, different retirement system. So, so that was the motive for the most part to go. But you have that, and I had one that uh, uh, that that. Uh, so that's two chiefs. I had another. Oh, Greg Brown was the chief of uh, Leesburg. So we're we're doing very well. You would have never seen uh, a decade ago. Uh, 
people leaving sheriff's offices have become police chiefs. You know, now it's going the other way around. I mean, we've had more people that have left police departments. We've had over a dozen that came from Prince William County to work for us here. We've had uh, probably six or seven, maybe more from Fairfax County, about eight or so from Washington, D.C., because they feel like they can't do their job or get the backing that they need because everything is so politicized in those areas. And in our in here, I, and since I answer directly to the people, we can stand up for our people. I don't have to sit there and bend with the wind based on uh, somebody having a, a political agenda that they want to force down my throat. Well, no, we do what's right. We have somebody that does something wrong. We investigate it. We we find what's wrong. If there was anything wrong and, and we punish it, we don't do a go do a press conference about it. We just handle it. You know, and those are the kinds of things that we don't try to make a political statement. Of what we do, we just try to do the right thing here. And I think that's the difference here that you find. And when you're right, Steve, all those people came out because they like the service that they're getting here. We had a really good turnout there. I appreciate you coming out there. It was a, it was a really good turnout, uh, and uh, they really balked. I mean, it really caused them to balk. I remember Caleb Kirshner, uh, all the emails that they got that were against the police department, and uh, you know, I remember Caleb Kirshner pinches his fingers about a, about a quarter inch and says, "These are the ones that I got for a police department." And then he pulls out all the emails that he got that was a stack that he had to hold between his hands. <laughs> It was about six inches deep. And so these are all the ones that, that want to keep at a sheriff's office. And uh, and then one of the other board of supervisors says, oh, you know, that was a waste of paper and uh, to print all that out. And he says, don't worry about it. It's recyclable. You know, so uh, <laughs> this is the <laughs> this is the kind of political garbage that you got to deal with yeah. in a job like this. But honestly, to me, it's worth it because because of the, the the service that we can give the citizens here. And, and that really is a credit when you have all these people like just last year. Okay. So we got a uh, deputy of the year. So over a hundred sheriff's offices in all of Virginia. So we got, we got deputy of the year, criminal investigator of the year, dispatcher of the year. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Gloria Turin, our, 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 our jailer over there uh, works at the adult detention center. She got correctional officer of the year from major counties. And then a few weeks ago, I got uh, national sheriff of the year, you know, so, so whatever we're doing, we're we're doing right. We got we're lucky. We got a great team. We're in the right direction, and I think people see that. I think they see that we really care about what we do, and we care about the citizens we serve. And there's nice. three thousand, about three thousand two hundred sheriffs out there too. So that's a great honor to be elected like that. So oh look, we got that's impressive. Hey, we got to bring this to a close. So final thoughts. You know, um, what what's uh, you've been elected to three terms? You're going for four. That's right. I am. I, I announced we're doing we're doing good. We're looking forward to it. Uh, and we uh, we every time we run a campaign, it's like we always run like we're coming from behind. And and uh, whoever they uh, they put up against me, we'll be ready for it. And uh, we always are. So, we're, well, your records, I, I tell you, as a Loudoun County resident, your your record speaks for itself. So um, yeah. and, and as a former I spent a total of Seven, 16, 17 years living in Loudoun County and uh, was there for for up until 18 months ago when, as you got elected. Traitorous bastard who left me, yeah. <laughs> Very proud. I mean, ex- you know, when you did that report on your first 100 days in office, I thought that was phenomenal. I read, I read what you wrote up about that, the progress that you were making. In three freaking months was outstanding. Uh, I think the, the citizens of Loudoun County are being uh, more than adequately served by you and your office there. Well, you guys don't know how good you have it. Uh, Loudoun County that. is a beautiful place. Uh, the politics. Well, you, you should have stayed, Murph. You should have stayed. <laughs> I, you know, I kept trying to get them to turn the thermostat up there, and they just wouldn't do it. And I thought, screw this winter, I'm heading south. But uh, so proud of what you've accomplished, Mike. Glad to call you my friend. Glad to call you a brother, law enforcement uh, officer there. And I'm sorry that you have Morgan still living in your county. He's tried to get rid of me. I just, I, I own property. You can't get rid of me that easy. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, honestly, it's an honor for me to to talk with you guys. You guys are experts in your field there, and and uh, you know, and I'm I'm enjoying it. Uh, what I'm doing, I'm still. My kids are always asking me, Dad, when are you going to retire? My daughter, she graduates the Naval Academy. She's going to flight school. I got my my son was a is an FBI agent now. He's an Air Force Academy grad. I still got a, a son, another Naval Academy son who. Uh, who's Wait a, a minute. What? What? Where is no, the this, Army in all of this? Come on. Where's West Point? I, I told my daughter. I told my daughter this. I said. Yeah, so I had I've, I had a son who graduated Naval Academy, one who graduated Coast Guard Academy, uh, and one graduated Air Force Academy. I told my daughter, I said, you know, Molly, if you go to to <laughs> the military academy, you go to, to West Point, you will probably be the only family in history that had four siblings go to every one of the different academies. And she says, I said, that would probably be a record. And she says, Dad, you already had three. I think you probably already got the record. <laughs> I tell you, I'm glad you brought up your family because you have a service-oriented family that uh, amazing. You know, we would all be proud of. Yeah, I, I'm blessed. And I, I tell you what, the credit, I'm always working, as you know. Uh, the Like you, you see in my emails and my text at, at 1230 at night. Uh, so uh, all the credit on that goes to my wife. I mean, she's the one that uh, she's she's really taking care of this family and made sure everybody got in the right direction. So I was Excellent. the one always working and bringing home the bread. And she was the one always taking care of the family. So all the credit and all the success goes to her and these kids. I mean, I'm blessed. Uh, God's been good to me. And we're just going to keep on moving forward. God bless you, brother. Proud Thank of you. All I can say is go army, beat Navy. Just tell that to your kids. <laughs> well, actually, actually, she just did a video. I'll send it to you. She just did a video uh, interview there. She's the captain of the track team. She's a high jumper, triple jumper, long jumper. To captain of the track team. She's got uh, she's holding holds a couple of records over there at Navy. We're pretty close to holding records. She she's always either coming in first or second in one of those events. Uh, I'll send you the interview that she did. She's the captain. They actually are going against Army on Saturday. So uh, on Saturday, I'll we'll be at, uh, at, at at Navy. Uh, you, you know, at their indoor stadium, there rooting her on. So I'll be thinking about you there, Morgan. <laughs> yeah, we're rooting for Molly. Yeah. Hey, well, hey, look, this is us saluting you. We're going to bring this to a close because I know you got to go solve crime, protect the innocent, you know, make Loudoun County safe for us. But look. Yeah. Great stuff. A lot of insight that I think a lot of people get. And this is us saluting you saying thank you once again for doing a great job. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for having me on and uh, appreciate all you guys are doing to get the word out here. We we really need uh, to get the word out about what we're doing in law enforcement. People need to understand how difficult this job is and, and what we have to do uh, and how, how many people every day are putting their lives on the line. Yep. They don't even know and it, how important that is to the citizens that we serve. Good right. job, brother. Keep it up. All you right. guys, you guys don't go anywhere else. Everybody else stay tuned for the debrief. Uh, like I said, I'm fortunate to live in the county. We've got you know, we've got it good here considering the fact we're a half a million people. We've been the fastest growing county in the United States, like 10 out of the last 15 years. 80% of the world's internet traffic goes through Loudoun County. We're right at Dulles Airport. You know, we're for the hijackers mm -hmm. uh, operated out of, I mean, a um, lot of stuff going on here, but still I feel, <laughs> let me tell you what, I feel safer walking around here in my skivvies in the middle of the night than I would fully armed in Washington, D.C. in the middle of the day. Or in the Catholic Church. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have said that. <laughs> oh, but just the thought of you, you walk around your skivvies, just, you know, I think I might skip dinner tonight now. It's just some, That's it's part of my I diet want. plan for you, Murph. Part of my, that's a, one of those pictures in your mind that will never go away.
<laughs> yeah, but I mean, that was a great, but you know what? I mean, and you think about it, the chief of DEA public affairs, mm-hmm. he had to know everything that was going on. He had to be answerable to the media, to his boss, to Congress, mm-hmm. to everybody else. And you know what? I think that was the training that allowed him to do what he's doing now and, and you know, and handle it. Because as a constitutional officer, if you heard the, the county board here was trying to turn this into a police department. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty much been squelched when they looked at not only the cost, but the people don't want it. The people don't want a police department. They don't want to, they don't want to be Fairfax or Prince William. They want a sheriff's office. Yep. And I think yep. it's going to stay that way. And it gives some accountability because it's an elected position. You can hold those that you elect accountable. Well, theoretically, but in this case, Mike takes it very serious. You know, it was an honor to have you on here, Mike. Thank you very much, brother. Um, we had we were in Miami together back in the 1980s working DEA, and then our our, our career paths took different paths or took different countries, and then he ends up working for Javier in the end. So that's pretty cool the way his whole career went. <laughs> he couldn't get yeah, away well, from us. It was kind of funny, too, because he's in the south of Pakistan when I was not at the same time, but I was in the north, and it's kind of like his discussion of being in Karachi and stuff, that was an interesting time working out of the consulate down there. Very oh. interesting country. Well, and he flies back in to find out they have to evacuate the next day. <laughs> now that's what you call Murphy's Law. That's uh, But look at the frequent flower points he got. Well, that's what? true. <laughs> well, hey, if you guys like that episode, and we hope you do, like I said, you know, this is cl- as close as we probably get to being political, but only because we're asking questions about somebody who's a political person. By definition, he runs for office every four years. But uh, but I think it, it's interesting getting behind the scenes of what was really happening, what was going on with some of the biggest controversies that were actually hitting the U.S. at that time. So we hope you guys enjoy it. If you do, go on over to Apple and Spotify. Hit those five stars. Cinco estrellas, as Murph said. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't know exactly how it works. It's David Blaine. By the way, i got to tell you, you want to see one of the most amazing tricks David Blaine did it to Harrison Ford? What's that? He took a deck of cards. He said, just think of card. You know, are you thinking of it? It says, now, that card now has just disappeared. Now look through the deck. And Harrison Ford looks through there, and whatever card he was thinking of wasn't there. And he says, hand me a, hand me a fruit. Hand me an orange. R- Harrison Ford picks up a fruit from his kitchen. It's an orange. And he tells us, what was your card? He goes, it's the nine of hearts. They cut open the orange, rolled up into a card. Inside that orange is the frickin' nine of hearts. No. Telling you, go look at it on YouTube. David Blaine and Harrison Ford, and wow. if that's the magic I'm talking about when you hit those five star stars. Anyway, small digression. That's a drinking game. So you guys head on over and drink there. Um, head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com for, for more information about the show. We post a lot of stuff there, including our books. Follow us on social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But also make sure you head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We have got a ton of stuff coming out. We did the movie uh, The French Connection in honor of Pete Charette, who was episode 92. So that was a great, worst one of the worst movies we ever reviewed. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. The Pete's interview was excellent. Pete's interview was excellent, much better than the, the movie. But guess what? It got five Academy Awards. So who am I to talk, right? Yep. And also, you know, just make sure you do that and listen to the content, folks. we got a lot of good stuff on there. We dive deep into cases. We give you the stuff nobody else is talking about. We keep it drama-free. We're not into the drama. We're in about the facts, like the Murdoch case. We get into the technical aspects. How do they really track them down? We talk about the shooting in Tennessee. That was one of our things we talked about with our Warden of the Throne folks. We analyze the details behind the shooting. What what was This was textbook. What was done. So you guys, stay tuned. Could be some interesting stuff coming out of there. But uh, again, Murph, I just think we just knocked it out the park again episode 93 with mike chapman i feel like uh it's it's time for a glass of wine which you don't drink i'll drink your wine or a beer which you don't drink i'll have your beer too (laughs) 
Well, I appreciate you taking one for the team there, brother. Dude, you have ginger ale, and we'll all call you a snitch, okay? <laughs> hey, y'all, thank you. And thanks, Mike, again. And thank you all for listening to us here on the Game of Crimes. And thank you guys once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most outrageous, mm-hmm. and dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. Mm-hmm.